I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Warning. This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions, and strong language. Welcome to That's Exit on Mainstream, our pop culture adjacent podcast. I'm Rob Jones, and he's Jamie Anolfo. Now, you may know us from our other podcasts, Records and Bands and Talking Dad, and we crop up on each other's shows all the time, but this is our first proper episode of our joint podcast, so welcome to what we hope is a long run of cool and interesting podcasts. I might have said podcast quite a lot then. How are you, Jamie? You all right? I'm good, yeah. How are you? Yeah, you've had your birthday this week, so many happy returns. Thank you very much, yeah. We only really got to know each other through social media back when we started podcasting. And this is very much, I I think I've referred to it as a digital friendship, but it's very much a friendship that's forged online Um, like and through podcasting, but social media and messaging apps. So it only feels right that our first proper episode is on this film, The Social Dilemma. Yes, it's... uh... I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and, and like our whole getting to know each other and being on podcasts and having conversations together all stems from social media. And it did crop up in the back of my mind as I was thinking, um, as we'll get onto in a bit, just how bad social media can be at times. Yeah, I think there's a lot of negativity around it, isn't there? And it does very much outweigh the positive aspects, but there are bits and pieces like... I really value what we have. Like we're complete until a message on Instagram. Well, even after that first message, complete strangers. And now would it be fair to say we speak or text or whatever, like most days? Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly several times a week, isn't it? Yeah. We, we sort of interact over WhatsApp as almost as much as I interact with other friends in other groups that I've known since I was 11 or even longer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's call it a digital friendship, but, and I suppose when we're doing things like this and we, we interact on each other's podcasts as well, and we talk that way. So we have a purpose and we have a reason to be in contact with each other, that kind of regular, if it, like you say, if it wasn't for a chance message on, on social media to say, Oh, I've, I've got a podcast that started last week as well, or, you know, I, I know what you're talking about and that kind of, that kind of interaction. Then we wouldn't be sat here having this conversation, but is it two years later, three years later? It's two years now. Yeah. And it was just a, a year, a year today that we had our, our conversation around the Woodstock 99 documentary that kind of led to this podcast becoming something of its own. So a lot's happened in two years and it's an odd thing when you stop to think about it, really. I mean, we've never met in person, but yeah, we speak all the time and I feel like I know you as, as a friend, like, you know? Yeah, because I think as well, the nature of the medium helps because podcasting is nothing if it's not open and honest. And I'm like, from the first time I came on your podcast, I was quite open to, or I was quite happy to share everything and I think that's quite intimate from the start. It might be, it's a little bit different coming the other way because you just come on, on records and bands and talk rubbish about records and bands. But yeah, do you know what I mean? I think, I think there, there's, there's that aspect of it. But before we get into the film, shall we quickly touch on like our relationships with social media, both like as podcasters, um, which is very much a 
social media driven platform and that you have to use those tools to get your show out there and um, but also and probably the best place to start is um like how we used to use social platforms like as everyday users so can you um can you remember the first platform you were on with the first piece of social media first app are we wanting to go way back yeah not just how we used it before we started a podcast yeah no just go back yeah go way back yeah so for me it would have been when I was at school. So it probably would have been the tail end of primary school into high school. So what's that? 11, 12. Um, and back then I was using something called Habo Hotel, Bebo and MSN Messenger. And that was before Facebook arrived. So I've heard of Bebo. And was that kind of like a forerunner to MySpace? Because I think, because I didn't get online, I don't think properly until about 2001 like when i was regularly going online and before then like a mate of mine had he had a pc with dial-up internet and would go and find like the tabs or the chords to whatever guitar piece we were trying to learn to play for the band that would have been a similar time because that like that time i'm talking about was 2001 2002 um 2002 as i went into high school and so bebo was like it was, it was, I think it was a bit of a competition for MySpace, really. A new sort of updated, digital's the wrong word because it's all digital, but um, modernized uh, and, and social media as we kind of come to know it now. So that sort of, as you see everything on Instagram, as it is now, it's all nice little, neat little boxes, nice layout and, and that kind of thing. So that's what it was. So it was a bit easier on the eye and a bit easier to use than maybe MySpace was. And it was really sort of picture sharing. So it probably was like the first Instagram, even prior to Facebook becoming popular. I think Facebook was in existence at that point. So did you then go on to MySpace? Because I, I never did. I don't think I had an account. I, yeah, I don't think I had an account necessarily that I used and updated but i would have been on it to see follow bands and, and and all that kind of stuff so i would have been on it for that but actually being active on it myself as a profile i don't think i was i don't remember it too much and then there was like i mentioned the habo hotel which was like a um it was an internet chat room really and it was like you had your own little character little avatar and you would navigate through this hotel. And I suppose it was the very early stages of what is now, do they call it the metaverse? Was it like an interactive version of Sims almost then? Do you remember the game Sims? The design was very similar to Sims, and you could move through the different levels and the floors of the Habo Hotel and, and, and into different rooms where different people were, different chat rooms. And, you know, probably as an 11, 12-year-old kid, maybe a bit older than 13, I probably shouldn't have been on that. Um, was it something that I remember from you describing that? That sounds like that. Is it Second Life? That was a thing. Second was that a social media? Well, it was like a platform you could go on and you could live a live as your avatar. Oh yeah, yeah. There was that. Yeah, that that was very Sims. I don't remember that personally, but I've just had a look at the pictures. I can remember it would have been early-ish in 2007. A friend came to visit me and my wife when, where we were living on the other white. Hazel was pregnant. And the friend that came, she was from a group of friends that we all stayed in the same hostel together in New Zealand. Right. And 
uh, she she came back to see us and was like, "Have you seen this new thing, Facebook? It'll be really handy to keep in touch and see what everyone's doing." Yeah. Rather than having, like, I think at that point we were on like email chains that were like ten miles long, and everyone was copied in on the email, yeah. and it was just getting out of hand. So this Facebook thing came along, and it was like, "Wow, I can see what John's doing. I can see what Steve's doing," and it was new and interesting. And I got on there straight away. And I think early 2007, that would have been pretty close to when it first came along. So what, yeah, what, I can't remember what the timeline of Facebook is. When did it come out? Would it? I think it's like here, because it had that slow rollout, didn't it? Through all the, um, like through the colleges and that in America. And then it went nationwide and then it came here. So I think like 2007 was when it first came over here. Right. Okay. That would have been getting on towards the end of my te- the end of my school years, secondary mm. school years. So it probably wouldn't. And, and to be honest, I can't recall it as being something that we were all on um, until maybe the end, the tail end of when, when we were leaving and going to college. And then I remember it being sort of, you know, seeing all people put up the, the, the college parties or whatever they were doing that you weren't seeing them as, as often. So yeah, I wasn't sure of the timeline of it, really. The other thing was that then I think I got on Twitter. I think I started my first Twitter account in about 2009, 2010. Um, and that was a work-related thing. So I did a, I had a job as a park ranger and I did a regular weekly blog about this made-up character, Percy the Park Keeper, right. which was actually me. And it was like... So on this blog, I'd write about what we've been doing in the park all week, but as Percy, Percy the, the park keeper, okay? Um, and then that had its own little Twitter account that would push it out to the world. And that had a little following. I actually got a little following in the end, and I left that behind when I left the job. I handed it all over to the person to carry on. Right. Um, and then Instagram, I only really started messing with Instagram maybe 2016, 2017. For me, Twitter was... I wasn't on it early and um I I had an account on it but didn't really do anything with it or use it for a number of years probably up until the point where I used used it for the podcast and and connecting with people and promoting it promoting the podcast on there because for me I always went on Twitter I'd occasionally use it for sports news so was like the quickest place to get your, your news at, at one stage. and um, But I didn't need it to connect with friends because I already had Facebook and Instagram. So I never really used it for that. So it was it was probably only recent, really, I've actually started using Twitter. So what would you have been using Facebook for? Facebook was following and connecting with friends that I used to know from school, college, um friends and family that live abroad and that kind of stuff putting up pictures of a friday night out as a 17 18 year old or a house party that i might have been to do or a gig and that was it really just a kind of collection of images of of different sort of holidays house parties lads holidays the usual stuff that, that you know an 18 year old might get up to and then as you get a bit older it's more family based and i, I rarely use it really yeah see for us i think because we had our first son like in 2007 and then when 
when he was two weeks old, we moved all the way up to Scotland. So we were a long way away from family. So we would use it a lot for putting baby pictures on. You know, here he is a month old. Here he is six months old. And just try and keep the wider family and friends up to date with the kid more than anything. And then did you notice a spell when you, or did can you like pinpoint maybe when you started using it less and less? Or have you always kind of maintained a level of usage? I probably used it a lot, a lot less when I started using Instagram. I kind of migrated over to Instagram because I probably used Facebook like a a digital photo album, really. And that's pretty much it. So when Instagram came out, it was that was what that was for. It was a lot easier, wasn't it? So I kind of migrated over, and that would have been me using Facebook a lot, lot less than at that point up until podcast stuff happened like i say probably 2007 i started using it and i used it quite a lot and i got into a few groups around some of like the early podcasts that i would listen to and that but i noticed a change around 2012 maybe 2013 and it felt that it went from i'm gonna go on or not not so much me personally but the, the general vibe of it was that rather than going on facebook to see what your friends were doing you were going onto Facebook to show people what you were doing. It became rather than be, being a platform for the voyeur, it became a platform for the narcissist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that coincides with like the introduction and the quality in like the selfie cameras on phones. I would imagine it must be. Because twenty ten was the iPhone four, and that was I think that was the first smartphone with a front facing camera. Right. So by the time that rolls out and is affordable for the masses, you're probably looking at two years. I remember back to the old sort of first, the Mark 1 and 2 of the iPhone, and the cameras weren't very good looking back now, were they? But I mean, no. yeah, I, th- I think they probably probably did start to change over. And then they then they figured out, well, you know, Facebook is good for certain things and people have got used to it, but yeah. there's this new thing that people are, coming attracted to and the camera phones are getting a lot better so how can we take advantage of that and uh, their answer to that was let's create instagram where it is basically a uh, a digital photo album and it is for mm. showing off <laughs> showing off yeah and duck uh, duck clips <laughs> that's the duck face yeah that's <laughs> it um also with facebook and facebook is getting a kick in <laughs> <laughs> Um, it got to around probably I was using it there some of that's because you're busy and you haven't got time for messing with all of that uh, but I did start getting a bit more conscious about what I was putting on there and I went back and I deleted all the photos of the kids and stuff off of there right probably far too late but um and then it suddenly felt like there was an awful lot of adverts being put on there so I started using it less and less I was I just wasn't seeing the stuff from my friends. Yeah. I wasn't seeing anything from the people I was trying to keep in touch with. And I made, in the end, I made the decision in May of 2020. I just deleted it. All right. I just got sick of it. It was just like in some of the groups I was in, it was, just, it was just getting horrible. Um, and then you were seeing stuff like, because this, we're going to show you this horrible, horrible, racist, homophobic horribleness because some bloke who who you, you're in a group with, his mate's cousin, sister's wife's uncle, 
like this, so we're going to show it to you. And like, I don't want that shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's horrible. I don't want it. Yeah. And I, I was just getting bombarded with it, and it wasn't fun. It was around the time of the murder of George Floyd and the push for the, in the Black Lives Matter movement. And yeah, and I just deleted it all off. And I literally opened up an account about, um, reopened an account maybe six months after starting the podcast, starting records and bands, just to do that. And that's all I use it for now is to throw the podcast out there. And part of me wishes I didn't have to. Yeah. And it's odd. It's odd, really, because I didn't really use social media probably around that time. You know, we'd put the odd holiday pics on or you know wedding pics or whatever it was for friends and stuff and my wife's got a lot more friends that live wider and and, and abroad i've got family abroad but not 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 loads and loads of friends but i just kind of got a bit bored with it and didn't really use it and my life became a little bit smaller so i didn't need it as much and then obviously you do something like start a podcast and you you need to sort of figure out how you're going to reach more people that you don't know because hopefully more people listen to it than just my circle of sort of 10 mates and not even all of them listen to it so then i had to sort of go back on and reconnect it and obviously then you you branch off and you go down the rabbit hole of creating it's it's the podcast's own own profile but i found myself sort of going back onto my profiles and it might have been six months since i posted something last time or whatever times whatever time scale it was it was it was like a, a a big period it wasn't like i would post weekly or anything like that and uh then i'd have to sort of share the podcast stuff through the personal account until the podcast account became something of its own that had more followers than th- that i could do anything with so i think at one stage it just became a place for me where i could go on and check what time double check what time my martial arts class was and what time the gym opened that's what it was for because that's where he used to update everything and that's where i used to go and check on it hazel's had an account on facebook for maybe three years now since we moved to where we're living now and that's because anything like social or community wise is posted on facebook yeah so like all the after school club stuff you know it's all done through facebook all the church stuff all the community events is all put on through facebook so she's made a account an account and a fake name and she literally just does it to keep up with where where and when things are all of this last sort of 20 minutes or so i suppose has been um this last little bit of chat really is just to highlight that we're doing a podcast today about social media and the perils of social media But if we weren't doing a podcast, neither of us would probably use social media very much at all, would we? No, that's true. So maybe we're not the right people to speak on this, but we're going to have a go. Apart from one. So TikTok has has got a bit of a grip on me. Oh, right. Okay. And I suppose if it wasn't TikTok, it might be Instagram Reels because it's effectively the same thing. But I feel like as bad as it can be, I think TikTok's algorithm is probably the best out of the lot. And that literally will you you watch a second of one video, whether you're interested in it or not, or you just leave it on because you're preoccupied or doing something else. And then the next three videos will be related to that. And it's almost instant. It's it seems to be one of the quickest and it and it is the worst for sort of sucking you in and 
doom scrolling. And uh, even just today, I was considering deleting it completely. And I thought that might might even do it live on the podcast. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed as well, and because I've actually got three or four different Instagram accounts for different purposes. So I've got one for my, because I, I um, if people have come to this podcast who haven't heard any of the other stuff we've done, I've got the Records and Bands podcast, which is all our music related stuff. So I post stuff to our Instagram for that. I've got Just Up The Trail, which is like a website and a podcast and YouTube thing for hiking and wild camping so obviously those two aren't related so they have a instagram account this podcast will have its own instagram account but as soon as you go on to like the search thing you regardless of what you've put in to set up the account the first maybe three or four months on that search tab is all women wearing not a lot of clothes yes and you actually and over time the more you search and the more you interact it refines it for you, but it seems to take forever. Mm. And then you still get women wearing not a lot of clothes. True. Or men with lovely six packs. One or the other. And, um, yeah, you know, if I, and both are un- unobtainable for me. Yeah. If I, if I was lucky enough to, <laughs> to be that tanned all year round and have a six pack or have, um, a lovely bum. I was just going to say something similar. I was trying to choose my words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or if I had a lovely bum, then, you know, I'd be on there getting 3 million views and likes and <laughs> and everything else. But unfortunately, I'm not. So um, I have to just plug away um, my here's podcast. Here's a little Easter egg. My, my lovely bum is on Instagram somewhere. Oh, wow. Competition time. <laughs> Shall we jump into the film? So, The Social Dilemma was released on Netflix in 2020, and it was one of those you-have-to-see-it documentaries that came out around sort of just before and just after, like, the lockdown COVID period. Like, I don't think we were in quarantine when it came out first time, but Netflix had this little run of, like, must-see documentaries. I think it started in maybe September or October 2019 with the Game Changers about um, athletes on plant-based diets. I don't know if you saw that one. And then obviously, as you go into 2020 in the lockdown, like the Tiger King was massive, wasn't it? And for me, the best one of the lot was The Last Dance, a Michael Jordan documentary. But the subject of this film was basically all about how um, the social media tech companies are, well, their products or their apps are destroying the world, (laughs) it seems. Yeah, and that does, I mean, that is the theme. (laughs) Yeah, so it examines how social media has been designed with addiction at its root to maximize the income of those companies through advertising. Um, and it also looks at like its ability to manipulate opinions and emotions and behavior and how it impacts our mental health and, well, especially impacts the mental health of our kids. And, of course, how we all know now how it kind of spreads dif- disinformation, conspiracy, and breeds division. So we get lots of talking heads who are, they all seem to be ex-employees of these firms who've, I don't know, grown a conscience or we've got TED Talks to sell tickets for or something. Yeah. Or you've got academics in like fields of psychology or surveillance capitalism. And then there's also a dramatized narrative of like this all-American family 
and how the algorithms the algorithms are also weirdly shown as like free tech bros aren't they behind the controls yeah but yeah how these impact how these algorithms impact on the different people in the family the main storyline is like the, the teenage lad really who after a spell away from his phone he's lured back into it and very quickly gets radicalized by some far right group while his younger stepsister is clearly going through some mental health issues around self-image and the older sister who is meant to be like the moral arbiter of the story isn't she she's she's the one who's like well why do you need a phone to be on the internet you don't need to be connected all the time but she even gets sucked in at the end you know trying to help the teenage brother and and it's all very on the nose and it's all kind of aiming to scare the life out of the parents of teenagers everywhere i suppose i think so but but the film does raise some very valid points one of the things that really jumped out to me and it comes up quite early on in the film is that the addiction element of social media isn't an unfortunate side effect but it's kind of built into the algorithm and there was that analogy of like the fruit machine you scroll down to refresh and then you win your prize in some form of validation so that was one of the bits that really jumped out at me because I always just thought like, you know, it's just a side effect. It's just like they, they, they wouldn't plan for this, surely. Yeah, that scroll and refresh part really jumped out to me. And that's the bit I'm talking about with TikTok in, in particular, because you can, you know, you can, I can waste 10 minutes sat on the loo scrolling through TikTok and I can get to the point where I think oh, I'm a bit bored of seeing these videos now. Right, so then I I, I, um, I drag and refresh, and all of a sudden I'm onto a different video, or I'm onto if the last video I watched was um, some football highlight or something, then I'll be bang on to a podcast about that football team or a commentary highlight reel, or you know something like that. So I can immediately go from one back up to a list of even more of that. And that algorithm in particular, I think, well, it does it the best. It does it the worst. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think in the documentary, though, where it shows the, the three people controlling the algorithm and they're almost created avatar of the person, which they describe in, in the documentary. But it says it's, it's a strange way of thinking about it, that there's... For every person who's got one of them apps on your phone, there's two people sat behind the screen watching what you do and how you do it and when you do it and the time and what you've been looking at. And, you know, it's been two hours since he was last active online. We need to send something mm-hmm. to get his attention, a notification of some sort, or look, here's this, this person's posted this video, or you might like this video. And it was really interesting way of sort of dramatizing it in, into something that was kind of felt real but obviously that's just a supercomputer sat somewhere an ai isn't it so yeah the thing that jumped out to me was like that there's there's a section or there's a piece near the start of the film where it's like he sat on a sofa and it must be in like a common hall or something in in the school um and he's chatting with his mate and like you say the people who are playing the algorithm have having a conversation in the background going oh he's not checked his phone for a while because you sat there having a conversation and then they go, oh, this user who happens to be a pretty young girl who he might like is in his, you know, is nearby. 
give him a nudge, send her a picture, you know, say she tagged him in a picture or whatever. And then the next shot is his phone goes bing, he picks up his phone and then it draws out and it's like he's on his phone and his mate, who he's having a really wicked conversation with beforehand, they're both just on their phones. Yeah, yeah. Just in their own world. Like, and you're just like, and I know it's a dramatised game, but you're just like, fuck. But, but it's very accurate, isn't it? And it's... Um, and isn't it like holding up a mirror? Yeah, and it it is. I mean, how many times have you been out in public and, you know, I've done it even... You know, as early as like as recent as this weekend, where me and my wife have been out for a meal for my birthday, and there's only two of us there. There's no kids, and all of a sudden we're both sat on our phones for some reason. <laughs> oh, we've not been that bad. I I do get in trouble if like me and Hazel are talking, trying if I'm having a conversation with her and my phone's in my hand, because yeah. I I don't have no I I have notifications for text messages on my phone, and that's right. it. So it, my phone isn't going Bing 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 all the time. But if I'm not giving her my undivided attention, quite quite rightly so, she'll get a cob on. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I actually have to remember to make an effort to turn the screen off and put it in my pocket because I'm talking to her. But isn't it isn't it odd that we're in that situation at this? You know, that that's even a thing because if you were having a conversation and then all of a sudden you picked up the paper and started reading it, that'd be really rude, wouldn't it? Back in the day, yeah. you know, going back yeah. a few years, that'd be really rude. But but yeah. the fact that you and can if my have phone went phone. bing now, I wouldn't. If my phone went bing now, I wouldn't check it because we're having this conversation. I have looked at mine, and you may have noticed, but that's because I've tried to send you something. <laughs> oh right. But um, no, see, I did. So I, no, I didn't get that. I didn't get that because I don't have any notifications. Yeah, yeah. Which probably a good thing because it would have interrupted us. I don't know if it is actually. I'm not sure if it is entirely a good thing because. During the day, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have a job where I can just get my phone out and check it, and or to check it. I, I can send messages. I can organise doing podcasts. I can post stuff for the podcast all day if I want. You know, I I have work to do, but around that, I can squeeze it in. I work by myself. No one's watching what I'm doing. But if it's a slow day, I can be oh. Do something on my phone, ding, 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 send it off. Literally five minutes later in my pocket. Has any, have they replied to that yet? Yeah, yeah. Five minutes later, has they got back to me yet? Whereas maybe if I had notifications on, I'd just get it would just get, I'd just wait for it to go bing. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. The notifications, it's very much like you know, wait, wake up, come and play with us instead of doing what you're doing in the real world. It's definitely that, isn't it? And then the other thing that I saw was that it was like, right, he's looked at two, he's looked at two posts, he's engaged. Quick, let's get an advert in there. Yeah, let's fire the, what, what advert? What? Who's the highest? You know, in the dramatization, who's the highest? Almost like a slot machine, sort of spinning. Who's the highest bidder for for this advert, and and which one do we think is going to be relevant to him? What else jumped out to you from the film? Was there anything in there that you weren't kind of aware of? Because like I was saying about the addiction stuff, kind of knew people got addicted, but didn't realise it was a built-in design. Was there anything that jumped out to you and you sort of basically went, holy shit. So like, I could have sat here without watching it and just kind of got an overview of what it was about. And we could have sat and moaned about social media and, and advertisements and monetization and, and everything around it. But actually when they go into detail about the behind the scenes and that the people that are ex-employees of these companies that were solely in the department of how are we going to make money from this app or this platform 
um, and then they go into a bit more detail about it and, and the, the advert based revenue was seemed to be the thing that made the most sense. And so that's the ex-employer talking about it from a sort of business point of view and how they got to that decision and why it made sense and it does make sense. And that kind of leads you to where you are, but then other people come on and talk about the, the uh, I wrote down a quote from it, that the only two industries that call their customers users are illegal drugs and software uh, and, and software that you, that you as a user of these platforms and apps and that you are sort of being funneled into a certain category of, oh, well, you, you Googled shaving cream. So now all that comes up on your Facebook feed is like different adverts for shave, for shaving cream. And that it's, it's that instant that the way that they've kind of, I suppose they've, they've manipulated the algorithm and the use of data and the use of how you, and, and also the infiltration of them apps into your Google search that they all connected. Yeah. Somebody's selling that information somewhere or giving permissions that you, you wouldn't, you know, unless you sort of really tried to delve into the background of and turn them permissions off, you know, nobody does that today. Do That's why you get these adverts no. pop up after you've just been stood having a conversation about how much a pint of beer costs. And then the first article that comes up on Facebook is how much a pint of beer costs. There was one of the quotes, and I think we all say, like, it's like, if, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. I don't know what other models they could use are though. And they, well, we'll come to it later on. It's a paying for, isn't it? It's a subscription, which we will come on to later on. A couple of the biggest, the, or the bigger things that came out to me was the, the scenes where the, the lad's getting radicalized. And I think because it's a, it's a dramatized account, obviously I hope that the timeline on that is sped up because he's, it seemed very quickly to go down that rabbit hole. It does fit. It does feel like it. It is for the for the purposes of trying to um, wrap it up in a dramatized sort of an hour's um, documentary. But I, I, yeah, yeah. So lately, and it's been again, it's probably since I've noticed it more since the Twitter takeover, shall we say? I will interact with someone on Twitter, and then I'll only see their stuff for like the next. Like every time I come up, theirs is at the top of the, like you re refresh the feed, that person's stuff is at the top. And it's not stuff that they've put out since your interaction. So let's say they put a tweet out at 1 p.m. and I click like or I reply to it. The next time I do refresh, I might see a tweet that they wrote two days ago. All right, okay. It's been really weird. I know the Twitter algorithms all over the shop at the minute, but... It seems to be very much like, oh, you like this person, so we're going to show you a lot more of their stuff, even if it's like it's not the latest stuff. It's just simply down to you interacting with this person. So from that, I can see it's like, um. So again, lately on Twitter, it's like I like I know my political mind. I know where I know right from wrong. I know where I stand on most most subjects. I I feel I can see bullshit i have a pretty good bullshit monitor yeah and because i can't deal with it i purposely try and keep all of the right-wing nonsense out of my feed but because people i follow 
are on there and they're actively standing against it. It's like because Jono told Piers Morgan to go fuck himself, for instance, I then see that. Do you see what I mean? So then I see what, you know, because because Jono was standing up against fascism, I have to see the fascist. Yeah, yeah. Even even, and then you try and purposely not include that. And I click, I click through to see what Jono was saying. Yeah. Or to see what Jono was reacting to, I then get a wave of horrible right wing bullshit in my timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, like you say, Twitter's algorithm is messed up at the moment, and Twitter is the worst for that because I popped onto it. Uh, either this morning or last night and there's the for you section and then there's the following section isn't there and it automatically puts you on the for you section and the for you section shows me a lot more stuff that is related to what I follow or want to look at but then I thought I'm going to test something now and I'm going to go on the follow you the following section and I expected that to be oh shit this is the bit that I've missed that I didn't realize I wasn't on this section and this is going to be everyone I follow and everything they've been posting for the past week but it wasn't it was like like your example every person that they've liked and commented on and that that all their stuff was popping up so that was more like the for you section than the for you section for me it was reversed I have to say so I've really been active on Twitter maybe like really properly I did I was for a spell around 2015 2016 and then I left it for ages and then I came back to it but when starting doing the podcast and that, and I've kind of eventually fallen into, there's a little band of UK independent podcasters who are just like the nicest bunch of people out there that I've ever met online. And they're so supportive and they're really collaborative and they're all making really, really cool stuff. And they're all of a, of a like mind in that they're just they're just decent decent people you know and and it's really really sound cool place to be and then um it's the stuff on the fringes that kind of i i find it it's very easy to get away from that really cool really supportive really collaborative group and then it's really easy to go from that to the gutter yeah. the trenches if you like really quickly yeah if you're not careful yeah and that and like if i'm having a bad day i don't want to see right wing bullshit it's just gonna bring me down even more i mean probably should see it and probably should stand against it harder but you know well you see you see, I don't probably know. see too much of it on the news anyway or in the papers or you know, you don't even have to buy a paper yeah. to see what's in it nowadays because they're in your face no, and everything, it. aren't they? Coming back to like we were talking about when we first sort of started using Facebook, you might get onto a video that you didn't really want to be on. You would close it and get rid of it, and the algorithm wasn't as sophisticated back then, so it it wouldn't come up again, and you wouldn't search for it. Hmm. It was like just a, an error that you've ended up there, and. Um, but then you'd be back on your merry way and looking at the stuff you want to look at. Whereas now, that'll be rammed down your throat for the next couple of days. Yeah. And like, you could have been on a Facebook video or, or any of the others looking at 
stuff from the Euros last year. So you might have been looking at the highlight of a goal. You might have been looking at a commentary section, or you might have been on fan park video of when then they, they celebrate when they score a goal and beer goes everywhere. Next video down, it's a fight between fans. Next video down, mm. it's a riot between a bigger set of fans and everyone's involved. The next video down, yeah. all of a sudden you're in um, sort of football away days and football hooligan, hooliganism videos and, and you're right in the middle of it and it's only taken like two swipes and you're all of a sudden there when you were actually just looking at, you know, Ian Wright and Gary Lineker talking about what goal they've just seen. <laughs> but also, how much notice do you pay if the third video in that section is a paid promoted one from a group who is into that sort of stuff because in the film the boy has a spell he he has two or three days away from his phone doesn't he and then they get Lauren back in with posts about his girlfriend and once he's in there he's binging and they're like right they're selling some adverts and like the highest advert bidder is the right wing group you know that he gets radicalized by so if they're willing to take the money from the bad guys, then they, you know, if, if the bad guys are willing to pay more money, if the right wing groups are willing to pay more money, then Facebook or then the social media platforms are going to prioritize the profit over right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing I took from the film as well, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like that's kind of where well, that's we're capitalism, at isn't it? It's, yeah. That's where we're at. And that's another um another another quote from the film that i took was religion of profit at all costs is the quote from the film and then i wrote my own thing on that and money being a belief system and all that kind of stuff that we all get dragged into because we're easily manipulated but yeah the the profit at all costs is where we're at now isn't it and you know that's not it's not the end game it's not where we're gonna that's not where social media finishes so that's the scary thought. And the other thing, of course, is like the whole echo chamber thing as well, isn't it? Because it's like the facts that you see are different to the facts that I see. That's the thing I noticed second time around watching. That was a worrying thing. I suppose you wouldn't think about it, but I've never really you know, trialed it. I never sat next to somebody and said, well, search for this thing at the same time and see what your suggestions are compared to mine but it'd be an interesting thing to do and uh it was a funny funny thing actually because this was completely unrelated and it happened a few weeks ago but i've just remembered so walker's crisps were doing that promotion where if you got the crisp shaped in a love heart in in your bag you could you win a competition and people are sharing all these pictures of um like different shapes of crisp that don't really look anything like a heart but they claim it does my wife was telling me about it i'd not seen it so we'd spoke about it for five minutes sat on the sofa next to each other and she googled this thing and showed me the next time i picked up my phone 20 minutes later on instagram that was the first advert that popped up right and that was just as i was having a conversation so either my phone's listening to me or my account is so sort of connected to my wife's in terms of we like and share each other stuff mm. all the time that they thought I would like to see that because my wife went on Instagram and showed me the picture. Yeah, it's like the geolocation of it all, isn't it? They can probably tell you within 
a couple of you know and if you're like you say you've got the same surnames on your accounts and as well so if if a kid a teenager is is searching certain things like that the geolocation could pick up that you know somebody a couple of miles away is is involved in some dodgy groups and some right wing stuff or far right and you know not it's not a difficult connection to make is it to worry i'm also concerned we can't. We kind of moved away from the film a little bit, but I think that's the nature of this podcast, isn't it? That the um, the film we might we're not we're not really going to be doing a full on review, are we? It's just kind of we'll watch we'll watch a film and then we'll have a discuss around issues that it raises. And I think there's more issues to discuss in this film than the film itself. One of the impacts I feel that social media has had is on traditional media, and it's not just in the way of oh people get their news from twitter so they don't buy a newspaper anymore it feels like a lot of like national newspapers if you were if you will have taken lessons from social media whereas because they are also driven by advertising their headlines are more sensationalist they preach that division and getting people angry to get people to their website yeah so then they click through and they get paid for a page view. And then the comment section, you're angry about what you've just read, so you'll leave a comment and then you'll click refresh to see if anyone's responded to your comment. But that's another page view for whichever newspaper it might be, and they're getting paid again. And at some point, there's... While everyone is entitled to have an opinion nowadays and it's definitely because of social media it feels that everyone feels they have a they have the right to have their opinion broadcast or published yeah whereas well and treated as fact whereas back in the back in the days before you would have if you want to have your opinion it's all about it's, it's it's kind of difficult to say that you know people shouldn't be able to get on a microphone and give their opinion about stuff while we're getting on a microphone and giving their opinion about stuff. Yeah. But there used to be like, certainly in, in like, like for an, if you're writing for a national newspaper that, or on, if you're writing on a national newspaper, you would go through a sub editor, a sub editor and an editor, and you know, there'd be approval and approval for you, what you're, for what you're writing. But now I can go on the Guardian website. I could go on the Daily Mail website and I can write something that 2,000 people are going to see, 3,000 people, however, you know, thousands and thousands of people much more reached than this podcast will ever have. That That's what gives way to people saying the most radical things or the most sensationalized mm. things or the, you know, the polarizing things. Because if you, if, if a person wants to get their comment, the most views or a load of likes or a load of comments against it, well, you say the most outrageous thing, don't you? And you know that's going to make the top of the list or that's going to make the next story or that's going to get the most information as possible. And and that's kind of... And we've just had however many years of government by that style. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know yeah. so... What's going to play well in the papers? Let's say that, and look at the fucking mess. Look at the mess we're in. You yeah, know? but that's that's what that's when people talk about like sort of, oh, never read YouTube comments and all that kind of stuff because that's where the most sort of 
hateful people gather and comment, but it, it's become a thing where, like like you say, that um, if everyone's in the gutter and they're commenting a load of nonsense and having a go at someone, you've got to say the most outrageous thing to make sure your comments heard above everybody else's. And that's why you get so much hate speech and online bullying and hate crime. That's where it comes from, isn't it? Because you wouldn't, a lot of people would not say that directly to the person. They wouldn't no, say it in the But street. also you hear that you hear the language you hear the language that is used by our elected officials, our home secretary talking about an invasion of people and these people are desperate and they've got nowhere else to go. And she's only saying that to please the the, the hateful fuckers in the Daily Mail comment section. Yeah, but then it just gives permission for others, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does, but it's massive dog whistling. But we wouldn't be there without. I don't think we would be there without. I'm not saying without social media, but without those knock-on effects of polarization that social media has brought through, or or has helped has helped to accelerate. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it, isn't it? And you know, even something as simple as commenting, writing about something on Facebook in a local community page or something about whatever it might be. There's always, there's always somebody there that's either got to argue with you or try and be a funny bugger because they, because they're behind a phone and behind a computer and they think their response is hilarious. And it's just, it's, it's a constant argument. It's a constant battle. And, you know, we had a thing at work and we had, um, this time of year, we're very, um, the gardens where I work, we have this wonderful display of crocuses. So they flower nice and early and they're beautiful. And they're all through the lawn. So at the minute, my lawns are just this riot of yellow and purple and whites. And they're just really, really bright and beautiful. And they someone put them in the newspaper. And like one of the comments is, yeah, shame they don't empty the bins very often though, isn't it? Yeah. There's always a clever bugger in there. Um, we've got down on one here a bit do you think we can ever go back to like the glory days of the internet or even earlier times of social media because like in the film there's one of the contributors to it said that like the internet used to be a wild like the wild west where you could get together and make cool stuff and like the possibilities are endless but now it feels just like one giant shopping center and i i did think yeah i remember when i used to be scared to buy stuff on the internet yeah and and quite literally or whatever website you went on to buy something there was like scrolling uh scrolling pages at the top and the side and they were all adverts yeah. and if you accidentally clicked yeah. on the border of one it, it took you to somewhere or it was a pop-up and you thought right that's yeah. it my computer's dead it's got a virus never coming back from it just, <laughs> yeah obviously we're never going to get back to them days uh and no but, no but i mean just that whole you can it feels like you've got to get through an awful lot of corporate stuff to get to anything cool that's going on. And I think part of finding the cool stuff, like like this, but this is maybe where social media still has its positives. It's that there's something on social media for everyone. So we can make this podcast and put it out. And over time, people who like us will have a place to go. Yeah. Um, hopefully it's our website rather than facebook or somewhere yeah. like that but we need we, you know we can use that as a tool i think the the age of the internet and digital world gives us the opportunity to still create that 
and still and still make that place or make something cool that people can come and find and like-minded people can gather and enjoy something like that but and, and there are places like that available and there are different sites and other forms of social media that aren't as popular that create that kind of thing but you're almost behind a paywall before you even start and that's the part yeah this is it so as we're going forward now it feels it more and more like the as small independent creators using social media as a tool um it feels that more and more the playing field is kind of like tilted against us we're playing uphill more and more and it might be because we're in it you know trying to get our creative works out to more people you know we might just feel it a bit more than the everyday user but it's definitely becoming more and more paid to play isn't it like twitter under mr musk has gone all twitter blue with their subscription service meta which is facebook and instagram and whatsapp they've announced they're looking into something similar so i think you're right i think the days of make something really good and really cool and an audience will find it i think they're long gone yeah yeah because because the audience is being funneled elsewhere they're being taken to the places that are paying um to the highest bidder aren't they so you might we might have a website we might have a podcast somebody else might have one similar they're paying more than us or they're paying and we're not they're going to get funneled there so anyone who's got that slight interest might end up on their site than they would ours and that's the difficult which i don't mind so much if i don't mind so much when the the thing is good and it's you know and it's good and it's collaborative and it's like like we like i'm under no illusions that my podcast that i'm making the corner of my living room are ever going to compete against i don't know the peter crouch podcast or some big thing from the bbc or you know the athletic or you know these big companies with loads of money and budget to put behind them but i feel it's also pitching or it's trying to pitch independent creators against each other a little bit as well maybe not against each other but certainly it's that paid to play aspect of it is coming into it and is is that and this is just off the top of my head is that because of formats like only fans and patreon that social media companies have looked at them and thought look how popular they are and how much money they're getting and they are subscription service but they are like the and, and even netflix and other things like that and that they're, they're they're the subscription services but they are getting millions and millions of subscribers and views so is that why they're starting to look into it or is it just the fact that the advertisement model is running out of steam or doesn't doesn't earn them enough now and they need more i think with twitter as i understand it i think the new owner has come in talked about opening it up again to people like the types of people who have been banned before who may not you know who lots of advertisers probably don't want to be associated with so his or their income from advertising has dropped so they quickly need a boost in income and then i think because they've done it facebook have gone or meta have gone oh maybe we should get in on that as well yeah but they've also already got billions of users so if if 20 percent of facebook users take on 
Well, 10% for these maths. If 10% of Facebook users take it on, it, it $10 a month. What's that? $200 million. Uh... It's not bad, is it? <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> if that's what you want. I mean, I would, I wouldn't turn, I wouldn't turn anyone away that wanted to visit our website. <laughs> well, no, you know no, but I mean? no. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just different. It's just a different world, isn't it? I think. Right. One thing that I have been thinking about is, obviously, we've been talking primarily about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm 43. I'm probably a younger Facebook user being that, and I hardly use it. Yeah. So what is the future for these companies? Like certainly for like those, the big three of Facebook, Instagram, I know Instagram and Facebook are the same firm really, but yeah. Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. are they seeing the writing on the wall with like dwindling user bases as kids are using well, I, I don't mean kids disparagingly. I mean, like the next generation coming through. Are they using other platforms? Snapchat is you know, a big one, moving isn't it? On. And TikTok. Well, so I had a conversation with the kids before jumping on. Yeah. I was like, and I'm I'm very fortunate, really, because like some of the stuff in the film, like the stuff with the the mental the mental health issues that a young girl was having around, like image and validation of her peers and stuff through instagram i suppose um i don't feel i have to worry about that because my kids just aren't interested in it but i did ask them like in terms of social media what do you use what do your friends use and uh, my daughter she doesn't use it at all um well whatsapp for messaging yeah was there any ones that we well yeah so i said so i said to him like and what else what what do your friends use and they were like well they're on snapchat a lot um and tiktok and youtube shorts and then i asked evan and he was like um so so he's my eldest he's 15 he'll be 16 in september and he's like i use he uses whatsapp for messaging he's got instagram for messaging so there's some people who aren't on whatsapp so he messages them on instagram okay he, he's, he's put up three pictures in a year like how me and you would use instagram posting a picture and posting stories he's done that three times in a year right and that's with his warhammer models and i was like well what else do your friends use and he's like well some of them are on snapchat some of them use tiktok i said do you know anything about discord oh yeah everyone's on discord yeah so but like that discord to me is one of those frightening places <laughs> discord discord is more like an old school chat room isn't it and you have it's a bit like reddit isn't it from what i understand i don't know i see reddit scares me as well it's, it's a bit like you've got you've got different categories and different sections and sort of breakout rooms right. and and you know sub subcategories and then there's a little community right. group within them that they can all chat and sort of back and forth I think that's what it is. I don't really use it. I've spoken to a couple of people about it, and they seem generally positive mm. about it. But then how long is that for? Um, but, yeah, so I think as we go forward, I think there's going to be some natural shrinkage as people move away from these, from the established ones and on to the new up-and-comers. Because like you've got Mastodon now as well, haven't you? Yeah. 
and Hive was another one. All these came through after um, Mr. Musk bought Twitter. But, you know, by the time my youngest is looking for something to use, there'll be another, there'll be another round of new apps come through. I think I'd be surprised if Facebook is a thing in 10 years time. Yeah, fa- Facebook is five feels, years time. Feels maybe. Like Facebook is already struggling. What what Facebook will likely become is um, virtual reality playground, won't it? It'll be Meta. It'll be the Metaverse. It will be like we've discussed earlier, Habbo Hotel, but in virtual reality. So you will be sat in your living room. I'll be sat in mine. We'll have the the, the headsets on and all the gear, and we'll we will be in a virtual podcast studio, won't we? Sat together type of thing. <laughs> I don't think that is for Facebook. I think Facebook is just going to end up being a yellow page. I think that'll just fall by the wayside and they'll move on to that. I, I think they'll they'll make Meta yeah. or whatever it is over there, and there'll be a Facebook, but it'll be like my wife uses it for when's the when's when's a car boot sale, when's a P, when when's a PTA meeting, because that's all she uses it for. Every, every company we know has got. Facebook page. Yeah. You Google a plumber, you get fifteen different Facebook pages come up. That's true, yeah. It'll just be another search engine. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And the whole social aspect of it will be gone. But if you use one plumber in the crew area, then you might get fifteen more recommendations. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just to sum up, generally I think the film is is right. I think we're they're talking about, you know, they're fast approaching a tipping point where it will destroy society. He was one of the things he was speaking about was there's a a point where the technology becomes stronger. I, I can't remember quite how he phrased it, but there's a point where it becomes stronger than we can be. But then, if you come all the way back, it be there's a point which is much sooner where it the AI is stronger than our weaknesses. Is that the bit where he's talking about digital arms race? Yeah, it could well be. Yeah, uh, technology arms race, and um, that's when they were talking about how it could be policed, how it could be monitored, how we could mm. get back. And I just made notes at that point. I think it's that point where I said, "There's no way people or AI can police or monitor any of the bad at this point. Never mind what it ends up like in another three to five years." But all comes back to for me, in my opinion, it all comes back to society and education and what you're teaching your kids and what the schools are teaching the kids. And, you know, as a society, what where we live and what we live in and what it's like. So that then that then informs the people using the social media of how to be and how to act. Mm-hmm. And I know that's always been the case, but, you know. I think, I think you're right. I think there's, like, like I've said before, you know, I'm 43, 44 this year. Didn't really get on online until I was 20. I'd like to think by the time I was 20, I kind of had a good idea who I was and what I was about and what the world was about. And I didn't have to learn about the world in this age of, you know, individuals' facts and echo chambers. I think I'm quite fortunate to have surrounded myself with or good right-minded people with good values, you know, who have, 
you know, partly empowered me to make good decisions in life and to know my own mind going forward. And I think it's really difficult, not really for my kids, but maybe that generation that just after you, because you're, you're like 10 years younger than me, aren't you? So that kids who are like, kids who are like 20, 25 now who have grown up online and they're they're the same age as social media yeah they're the ones i worry about the most like my kids generation i think are ultimately going to fuck it all off okay so or even the or the generation the generation that comes after them i think they'll fuck it all off yeah i think they'll see the mess we've made of it yeah it's possible possible but maybe that's me just being hopeful because I'm also hoping they're going to fix the climate crisis as well. It's very optimistic. You, yeah. But I'm I'm like right on the, the blurred line of remembering what it was like before social media, but then remembering it coming in and learning how to use it as a kid still, so as a teenager. But also knowing that what felt right and wrong, because mm. even as a teenager and as a kid, and obviously I would have made mistakes, but being in a chat room and chatting with strangers felt odd because that right. it was a, a new concept that I wasn't used to. Whereas my kids growing up in a digital age and they're only young at the moment, but growing up in this digital age, they, they don't know any different. Their life is, is online and the whole world is online now. So for them speaking to a stranger online, isn't, isn't an alien sort of prospect. It's, it's life. So they can make mistakes very quickly and very easily compared to what we would have been been aware of and, and been able to do. So it is a worry. It is a worry coming moving forward. But I suppose, like I said, it's just the education element. You've got you still got to instill the values that you had as a kid to make sure you didn't make all of them mistakes. You've got to en- ensure that. And I suppose I'm probably at a slight advantage. Well, I am at an advantage compared to what my parents would have been at because I've got an awareness of technology and computers and digital world, social media. So I can help Kai and try and police that. But even having said that, back when I was a kid, just before all this stuff started, my dad used to build and fix computers for people. Hmm. He still didn't know what a chat room was when I was playing about with Habbo Hotel. <laughs> it's just a, you know, cartoon avatar. What, how harm can that do? But I suppose then you start to figure out that, you know, he's actually, he's not a, a 12 year old boy as the, the avatar depicts. It's a 53 year old man from America as what, not that that happened, but it could have. But then it gets, see, one thing I often think about is that. Obviously, the kids have they have lessons at school about online safety. Now, please forgive this analogy. When I was at school, we were the first sort of generation of kids that had sex education at school post AIDS. Yeah, I don't know about everyone, but like we felt like we were scared to have sex. Yeah. There was no way we were having unprotected sex because we were scared shitless about getting AIDS. But that was the that was the format of education back then, wasn't it? Scare them enough into not doing it. But I think that again, yeah. That, but I think because we were the first, that we were the first kids, if you like, to grow up 
with AIDS being a thing, there was no way at all I would have had unprotected sex with anyone because because you didn't like you know and i just wonder whether online safety lessons now are carrying that same sort of weight because we've had a spell of holy shit look at all the bad stuff that comes from social media it's almost an epidemic of poor mental health in kids that can be traced to the impacts of social media so yeah. are these online safety le- lessons are taken as seriously as sex education was for a, for my generation yeah i don't know yeah. I don't, i'm not asking for an answer i just want because i have to participate in a lot of these digital safeguarding and, and mm. grooming training things and there's a lot of really good ones out there and there are a lot of as a parent and as an adult now there's a lot of really scary ones so i imagine that there will be some scary ones for the kids but i don't know if that quite has the impact that that you might have had from them, them sex education days. But having said that, there's one that really sticks out to me. Well, there's two, but I can't remember the name of the second one. But there's one called Where's Klaus? And it's a video you can right. see on YouTube. And I think it's a German production. And it, it's basically a, a lad called Klaus who's upstairs in his bedroom. And like all these different people keep coming to the door, knocking on the door. And his mum answers, Where's Klaus? And it might be a lady of the night or next person comes and it's a guy stood there with a machine gun and he walks up and goes up to the bedroom and then next one comes and you know, it's an old bloke or next one comes and it's clearly a younger child. And, and these are all the people that, you know, he's interacting with online. Yeah. All the things he might see online and they're all sort of in his bedroom, but there's another one very similar, but it's a lot more sinister. Um, and that's a, a young girl sat in a bedroom. And a lot of, a lot of, well, you know, 20 yeah, odd. I can imagine. Yeah, it's more sinister. I can't remember the name of that one, but you will find it on, on sort of, you can Google it on YouTube. But the Where's Klaus one is quite interesting because that's, you know, at one point there's like a, a Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guy who comes bursting through. And then there's a robot that comes in behind him and they all go up the stairs and whatever. And, um, but yeah, there, there must be, I don't know how, how sort of, how hard hitting the education around this kind of stuff is in schools or is it more fact-based and and what might happen as a teenager being affected with mental health and body image and all that kind of stuff there's there's a lot of a lot of different ways they could maybe try and go with it and i'm not sure which way they do try and go with it overall views on the film it's difficult because it's like it's one of those it's, it's it's almost too heavy to say oh yeah it's a good film i enjoyed it yeah it's got some elements to it that are really interesting yeah um it's very yeah i find it interesting i find it it's it's certainly watchable hmm. it's certainly a that scare the parents while they're sat on the sofa type of film i made a note about that that point i said sort of I, well i made a note of devil's advocate is it angled this way and, and sort of to scare you or like and then you got the, you got the point that they're all ex-employees yes so is there a bit of a grudge there or is it are they just you know it's like like i said earlier it's like have they suddenly grown a conscience or have they suddenly got tickets to sell for a ted talk but at the very beginning when they all sit down they all look very nervous to be on camera and faces yeah. being shown but then there's nobody sat there with a blurred or a dark room with no. a voice changer or anything, is there? So, no. Excellent. Should we do something a bit lighter for our next show? I think we should, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I enjoyed our chat though. It's nice to know where we are on the on some of the pages with something as big as social media because it is it's all encompassing and it affects us, especially as in our chosen medium where we need to, we need to use it as a tool. We need to be in it, and it's just knowing those lines and knowing knowing how to how to use it as we need rather than it using us if that's not too grand <laughs> yeah so generally i think it's, the film's right we're fast approaching a tipping point where it'll either destroy society or maybe our kids would just fuck it off and overthrow the corporate overlords and start writing letters to each other or sending carrier pigeons or i don't know actually talking to each other god forbid God forbid. <laughs> so that was the first proper episode of Last Exit on Mainstream. Hopefully we'll get onto something a bit lighter next time. I'll leave links to the film on Netflix and our social media links, which seems a little bit... It does, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? A bit dirty now, he's saying that. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter after going yeah, through Go and that. like all of our stuff and the algorithm will then love us and we'll be promoted yeah, to all your it. friends. <laughs> best place you can find us is at the thelonewoodcollective.com there's links to that that's our little website where we put all of our creative endeavours both mine and Jamie's and the stuff we do separately and anything we do together that's all there that's the best place to find us thank you very much 